Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, we thank you for blessing us today in wisdom and um, guiding us in the way of your path. And uh, Lord, grant us grace, Lord, every one of us uh, to overcome and uh, be in that number. Thank you so much, Father, in the name of Jesus. Well, we're going to go ahead with uh, God is Sovereign to Meet Our Needs, number two. And uh, first revelation I want to share with you is Father Helps Homeless Souls Through Our Testimonies. And this was given to Isaac Payne on 4-10-22. I dreamed I was in a recreation room that was upstairs and the walls were white. It was very spacious and included large areas for gaming and lounging. This area was for men and they held retreats there. I I knew a uh, I was about to be visited by Malcolm from the UBM Zoom ministry. And uh, Malcolm, uh, in this dream, was a wealthy man and very respected. Malcolm means, uh, by the way, uh, devoted to St. Columba, which means dove. So he is devoted to following the Holy Spirit. He likely represents Jesus in the man-child, the man-child reformer body, who is also very rich. Jesus is very rich. As I was uh, waiting in the recreational room, Malcolm approached me. He was a tall, meaning uh, very mature, slender man, meaning no flesh, And he had a mustache. And uh, he said, I believe that this represents authority over the tongue because hair is a sign of submission in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and the hair is over the mouth. Proverbs 18 and 21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And James 3 and 2, For in many things we all stumble. If any stumble not in word, the same is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body also. Proverbs 10 and 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. Mm -hmm. Malcolm had an entourage of people that worked for him. I believe that this is representing the angels that are sent forth to do service for God's elect. 
Uh, in several of our dreams, the man-child Davids had an entourage of secret service agents that did his bidding, and these were angels. Hebrews 1 and 14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to do service for them, the sake of them that shall inherit salvation? <clears throat> he told me that he was sponsoring a homeless man and was looking for help to get this man off the streets. Well, many of God's elect are homeless on the streets of Babylon and distracted, not really having the fellowship that they need around them to um, uh, help them to get into the kingdom. He had brought an apartment in a high-rise building for this man to stay in. Well, this, I believe this represents Zion, the bride, the tower of the flock, where the righteous run into it and are safe. And the Lord paid for us to, to live in Zion, a high calling of God. He, he gave us uh, everything we need to go into the king's house, as uh, the queen did, in, uh, the bride did in Song of Solomon. Right? And uh, Malcolm asked me if there was anything I could offer to assist in furnishing the apartment. Well, that's what we do here. You know, we try to, uh, we all try to help people into the kingdom. Help to be our brother's keeper, right? Uh, I looked over next to me and I saw a filing cabinet. Uh, I think the filing cabinet represents the wealth of knowledge that we've stored up in our renewed minds from reading the Word. And then they are transformed by renewing their mind, right? And this is how we help our homeless brethren and furnish their tabernacle, right? I opened it and found some spare change. I think the change represents repentance or a change of mind for those who are spiritually homeless. I gave uh, Malcolm the spare change and laughed about it after handing him the change because I knew I could offer more help. I went to look again in the filing cabinet and money was flowing out of it. I didn't know where the money was coming from, but it kept multiplying. Well, all provision, uh, that's what the money represents, I believe. All provision comes by the knowledge of God's promises, like this one in Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply your every need according to his riches and glory. And I told Malcolm to take all the money, and he accepted it. The Lord will multiply our seed for sowing when we do this. Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. You see, you can do this. I once again uh, looked inside the filing cabinet to see if there was anything else I could give. And then I began to pull out personal trophies of mine. These trophies were gold, and the, the figurine on top was of Jesus on the cross. 
There were many trophies that were awarded to me, which represent the victories Father has given me to help overcome self. It's death to self. Jesus on the cross. We take up our cross to follow him. We abide in him. He went to the cross. We must too. And as we will see, these trophies in turn are testimonies of God's power through Christ working in our lives that encourages others and builds their faith. You can't help others if you haven't gone to your cross, right? Luke 14 and 27 says, Whosoever doth not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower, there's that tower of the flock, doth not first sit down and count the cost, whether he hath wherewith to complete it? Well, uh, he says this fits really well with this dream of Malcolm buying an apartment in a high-rise building. Uh, representing the tower. And the high-rise was built with a strong foundation in the dream, as we will see later. Yep, that's right. The apartment was already purchased also. (laughs) Well, this is true. Jesus said, It is finished, and when he had purchased the souls of men with his blood upon the cross, right? Amen. Matthew 16 and 24 says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And also Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith which is in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen. And he went on to say Malcolm was very interested in the trophies more so than the money. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Well, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and money is nothing to him but uh, the blood of his son and the crucified life that he set forth as an example for us is priceless and of eternal value. And people need to concentrate on that and quit being distracted, right? He went on to say he asked if he could uh, decorate the apartment and he had bought for the homeless man with the trophies, and I obliged. And I believe that, um, he went on to say, I believe the circumstances, the curse, and the flesh that we overcome through God's grace prepares our own testimonies to help others overcome their circumstances, the curse, and the flesh in their lives. Yes, amen, I agree. Malcolm was about to leave and asked me to help the homeless man in into the apartment with the high-rise. And that's what we're all supposed to do, is try to help people to get into that high-rise, which I believe is the bride. And Malcolm instructed one of his workers in his entourage to assist and guide me. The person appeared to be a young adult, but who was very professional, clean-cut, and dressed in business attire. I want to tell you something, a little bit we know about angels. Angels are all about God's business. (laughs) Yes. We walked out of the recreational room into the tower. Apparently, the recreational room was also in the high-rise building. 
we walked down the hallway together, uh, talking and enjoying each other's company. Yes, amen. You know, those angels are with us everywhere we go. Many times they speak to us the word of the Lord. And we say, well, the Lord spoke this, the Lord spoke that. Well, he did. He speaks through his angels. They are perfect prophets. Okay. As we were walking, we found the homeless man laying on the hallway floor and incoherent. He had glasses and was in dirty clothing. I believe the homeless man represents those who are lost and those in apostasy that are being transformed by the truth. Amen. John fourteen twenty three. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. The loss of blood, he went on to say, represents the nature of sin passed on through parents, leaving the homeless man. Leaving the homeless man. Yeah, Leviticus seventeen eleven says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh atonement by reason of the life. Well, you see, it's the Lord's blood now. We've been given to replace our parents' blood, which had that life, that fallen Adamic nature, right? I believe the uh, glasses represent eyes that do not see well, and his filthy garments are outward sin and works of the flesh. Amen. He went on to say his head was split open and his blood was spilling on the floor. He uh, lost a tremendous amount of blood. In the natural, a person shouldn't be able to survive that much loss of blood. The homeless man naturally would have died with that much blood loss, but he did not. Well, I believe that this um, loss of blood represents the loss of our old nature and life and, of course, it was coming from his head, right? Because it's being replaced by Christ's nature and his blood. Amen? I believe that those who come out from among them and make God their strong tower will have the nature of Christ. It is his blood, his lineage that we are now a part of. Amen. I agree. And he went on to say, John six fifty three and 56 through 56, Jesus therefore said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have not life in yourselves. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and his meat was to do the will of the Father, right? And my blood is drink indeed. Yes, we partake of the nature of Jesus Christ through his word, do we not? Yes. And he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood abideth in me, and I in him. He went on to say, The homeless man was still on the ground and incoherent, and I pointed at the man and told him to get up in the name of Jesus. Well, you know, we have this authority, right? We find the elect of God uh, that are damaged or and need healing, spiritual and physical, and we command it so, right? The homeless man woke up and tried to stand on his feet, but his legs were buckling underneath him. He didn't have the strength to stand on his own. 
There's a lot of people like that out there. They need mentors, right? I told the homeless man to walk in Jesus' name, and he was able to stand and began to walk. Amen. Amos 7 and 7 is, O Lord, forgive, I beseech thee, how shall Jacob stand, for he is small. And also Romans 14 and 4, he shall be made to stand, for the Lord hath power to make him stand. Amen. Malcolm, when I'm, excuse me, uh, he went on and he said, I believe this represents those who once could not walk uprightly but now can. Yes. Amen. Matthew 11 and 5. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good tidings preached unto them. Amen. And as the homeless man was standing, the young professional man pointed at a doorway in the hallway, and he said, This is the apartment Malcolm bought for him. Yes, Jesus paid the debt for this. I opened the door to guide the homeless man inside. The apartment was white and very luxurious. It was a beautiful, expensive apartment in the high-rise building. Well, we know that an apartment is a house joined to other houses, as in Ephesians 2 and 21, in whom each several building, fitly framed together, groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. So this man is becoming a part of this holy temple, right? I noticed inside the apartment was a grand piano. Wow. Well, we're likely uh, we're like a finely tuned piano in that when God touches a key, the correct note comes out. A, a, a piano is perfectly obedient. <laughs> the homeless man walked into his new apartment to get familiar with it, and I gave him some space and closed the door as I stood in the hallway. The clean-cut businessman looked at me and said, You have to lock the door behind him so he doesn't leave. <laughs> I, I turned to the door and locked it with the homeless man inside his apartment. And uh, this door was able to be locked from the outside. Okay, we need to remember that. You know, people cannot stand. They get distracted. They fall away. They go back to their own things. We need to keep them in prayer. Um, I believe this is representing being sealed into the kingdom by the blood of Christ. He will not lose any that the Father hath given him, he said. Right. In the hallway of the high-rise building was a large window that looked out over the cityscape. It was a very big city with high, many high-rise buildings. The young professional businessman and I stood next to the window observing the city. We talked for a while and laughed and had great fellowship. The young professional man looked at me seriously and pointing towards the ground, which was a long way down from where we were standing. He said something along the lines of, those who jump off 
never survive the fall. In other words, if you can get too high in God's building to fall away. It was a very serious moment and quite sobering, and I remember feeling sad for those who lose their soul for either jumping off or falling off the high rise, right? Yeah, because Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 says, For as touching those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then fell away, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. How do they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh? Because the spiritual man is in you is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you put that man to death because you follow the flesh, you're going to lose it all, especially if you've advanced to a, a, a state of being in that high rise, right? You've gone too far to turn back. I could tell the young man was sad about it also. The tower, I believe, represents uh, the bride who is manifesting the name, which in Greek means the nature, character, and authority of the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 18 and 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. So the bride manifests the name or nature, character, and authority of the Lord. And that's what makes her beautiful, right? To him. The ground represents the world, he said. First John two, fifteen through seventeen. Love not the world, uh, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See many people are distracted with worldly things and not feeding themselves on the word of God. Verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the vainglory of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And Matthew 6 and 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. At this point, the young professional businessman and I, which we believe is an angel, were uh, translated to David Eel's house, representing David's house, the house of David, right? We were standing on his front porch. His house in this dream was a log cabin made of cedar trees. And I think his cedar, uh, the cedar, represents eternal life and preservation against excessive rot due to water and insect infestation. Yes, that's true. Uh, cedar is pretty uh, good representative of eternal life, right? Psalm 92 and 12 says, The righteous shall flourish like then palm tree, like the palm tree, and he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Oh, yes, praise God. 
Uh, also, cedar can grow in parched places where there is not much water. And you will see, as you will see below, this fits with the re- revelation that Father gave further on in the dream. And also, the cedar can take root in a rock, and they can grow to maturity. It's amazing. Well, the house that um, Solomon built, the Lord, was lined with cedar. And this represents uh, the house of the son of David that is being built and restored in these coming days. Amen. And uh, Jesus is the rock. Okay. We can be planted in the rock and grow beautifully. Matthew 21 and 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? If you reject the Word uh, and get caught up in uh, all the things of the world, you know, uh, YouTube, Facebook, blah, 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 um, guess what? You're choosing uh, something other than the Lord. The same was made the head of the corner, it says, and this was from the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. So in this dream, uh, the porch of David's house had an A-frame type architecture. He went on to say it was a very beautiful porch that was on a hill and faced towards the trees. It seemed like a house hidden in the forest. Well, in real life, my house is hidden in a forest on top of a mountain. When you look out, that's all you can see is trees. And um, he went on to say, The young professional businessman and I sat on the porch looking out over the forest. And I believe that the forest represents the wilderness tribulation that is soon beginning and will be all around us. Amen. Behind us was an older lady and a man. Get thee behind me, right? (laughs) I believe that this represents the old man and those that are submitted to him who speak contrary to the word. They seemed to be married and were sitting on a rocking chair. The older lady looked up and pointed at the A-frame cedar architecture and said, In so many years, these cedars are going to need to be refinished. That's not true. (laughs) The young professional man and I just looked at at her but didn't say anything. I felt in the dream not to acknowledge what she had said as something didn't feel right about it. Well, we should never listen to or acknowledge the old man or those that follow him. And uh, he doesn't believe in the nature of eternal life, uh, which is uh, the cedar, which the cedar represents, right? Uh, He went on to say, At this point, I looked at the young professional businessman and said, You want to hear a revelation the Lord gave to me? And the young man nodded. I continued, The valley of the shadow of death is parched land, and the sun scorches all unto death. Yeah, you remember uh, the Shulamite in Song of Solomon, how that she was scorched with the sun. She was darkened and scorched with the sun, right? That sun burns up all that flesh, right? 
He went on to say, As I said this to him, it was almost like a vision in the dream. I could see a very arid climate, almost like a desert with red canyons on both sides and no grass or vegetation to be found. Grass represents flesh, by the way. And he says, I believe this means the flesh is put to death on our journey with the sun slash S-O-N, right? And Isaiah 46 through 8 says, The voice of one saying, Cry. And one said, What shall I cry? All flesh is as grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the breath of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. Amen. And Psalm 23 and 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and that's death to self, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Amen. After I said this, the older woman and older man were nowhere to be found. (laughs) I don't know where they went, and they were not inside the house either. And then I woke up. Well, that just means the flesh died. The more we ignore the mouth and words of the old man, the weaker he becomes until he vanishes away in the light of the word. Right? Amen. Good revelation. And here's another one. Uh, This testimony was given uh, by Missy Pollock, 717-22. And uh, we call it Testimony Healed from Depression. Mm-hmm. Depression is a state of mind that comes from thinking on wrong things, right? This is a testimony my sister, Cindy, sent to me. She had emailed us a couple of weeks ago asking for prayer because she was dealing with depression. And this is her update. <laughs> and it's a good one. So I wanted to let you know how the depression had come and gone. I was playing games on my phone and using Facebook again. It was over a period of time that I kept adding more and more games on my phone. Hmm. Then the time uh, on my phone was increasing more and more. It's all I wanted to do. Yes, it's addicting. The devil wants to distract us away from eternal things, partaking of that body and blood of Christ and coming into his image. The devil wants to strike. He knows that we will become his victim if we do that. In this process, I was feeling or sensing less satisfaction uh, and contentment. I struggled with deleting them or using them less. I just simply couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with uh, YouTube and watching videos and stuff like that. Anything but the Word. The devil will just put you in a, in a trance. I was trying to rationalize their use. I had gotten to a point that I had no desire to cook or garden. These are the creative side of me. 
They be, they bring me satisfaction, hope, and contentment. I'd go to church and feel good and get home miserable. For weeks, songs and music were empty. I wasn't delighting in nature. Devotionals were stagnant, and Bible reading came rarely. After a couple of weeks, all of this and getting worse, I realized I was depressed. And after some prayer and honesty with God, I realized that it was the phone games and Facebook, and for some it would be YouTube and things like that, you know. I still struggled to stop their use and remove them. Finally, Thursday, I broke down crying, begging and pleading with God, and I told Him I wanted my joy back and to have a hunger and a thirst for Him again and to celebrate and rejoice in Him and to surrender. I knew I couldn't do it on my own strength and ask for Him to strengthen me. Amen. That's important. You can't do it on your own, but you can get strengthened by the Lord, and you can get filled with faith by the Lord. Faith is a gift from God, right? My answer was simply to delete and remove all my games and Facebook, which I did without hesitation. The best part was it was an immediate freedom. I felt a relief no more heavy weight on my heart, mind, body, or soul. My depression is gone, and my joy returned. The songs, music, flowers, clouds, cooking, devotionals, God, Bible reading, and Holy Spirit are filling me with a sense of wonder, awe, and contentment again. Thank you my loving and gracious God and Father. Teach me your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me forward on solid ground. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for setting Cindy free, uh, Missy said. Father, I ask you to use Cindy and the experience with depression and media addiction uh, mightily to set your elect free as a tool to preach the gospel in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. And another testimony. And this was uh, Claire Pinar, five, uh, 7 one I was praying the other night for my friend's dad, excuse me, to receive this healing from a stroke. Amen. I was imagining my hand touching his heart and healing him with the power of Jesus in me. Then I had this vision. I saw Jesus, uh, Jesus' profile smiling. And to his left uh, was the, the massive archangel Michael, who had a gold body plate on. He clenched his muscles as a sign that he was ready. Jesus put his head back and laughed, and he smiled, the most beautiful smile I've ever seen. Then he said, It's time, Michael, or Let's go, Michael. 
At that point, many angels filed in behind the archangel Michael, making a V formation, and there was so much light shining from them that it was blinding. I opened my eyes and I told Rion what I saw and then closed them again and saw Jesus once more smiling. There was real joy coming from him and Michael was smiling too, agreeing with Jesus and then I fell asleep. On the Sunday after I prayed, I received this text from my friend concerning her father-in-law. So, Jesus and the Michael, the archangel and the angels were going to fight for the father-in-law, right? He said, Morning, Claire. Thank you for joining us in praying for my father-in-law. It has been quite a confusing few days. So many mixed messages coming at us. My mother-in-law is forgetting so many things or misunderstanding things. And uh, the hospital staff were much the same, it seems. So now that we finally know what's going on, I am pleased to report that my father-in-law is home and nothing has shown up from his MRI scan. No sign of a stroke. They are believing it is to be a flare-up of his Bell's palsy from being overworked and out uh, in the cold. But the nurse says that that doesn't explain his numbness and weakness in his arms, etc. So I believe it was a stroke, but the scan showed nothing on Friday because he had been healed. Well, amen. So, got in touch with um, the Lord and uh, Michael and his angels and took care of the problem. Amen. Here's another testimony. It was given to Eve Brast. We called it Take Life One Day at a Time, Seven Twenty Four Twenty Two. And Eve said, I wanted to preface this dream below with a testimony of what I feel the Lord has shown me about my experience. And I personally feel that this is very prophetic. So please listen in. She went on to say, For quite a while, I and several of my brethren that I've spoken with have all been experiencing being led through a valley or a dry place, spiritually speaking. It has been a place where all you have left is your faith to cling to, that you are saved, healed, delivered, and provided for. It is a place of seeming nothingness, no feeling or closeness or connection to God. It is a place where every morning you have to wake up and pray for strength, wisdom, and guidance just for that day. And this is where God wants us in this season before the man-child returns and a great outpouring of his anointing power is poured out upon us. And the greatness the greatest revival that the world has ever known ensues. He wants us to come to a place where we no longer dwell on the past because if we've repented, it no longer exists in his book of remembrance. We can't look to the future because it's not guaranteed us. 
we have only have today to be a good steward and disciple of this day that he's been given us. And it is a great blessing and a relief to come to this knowledge. You can't go by feelings. They go up and down, you know, and the Lord wants to wean us away from these feelings, you know. She went on to say this is truly where the realization and acknowledgement of our weakness lies and the benefits of entering into his rest and peace are found. Well, James four thirteen through 16 says, Come now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into this city and spread a year, spend a year there and trade and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. What is your life? For you are a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall both live and do this or that. But now you glory in your vantage. All such glorying is evil. So you don't really have any time to waste, right? We uh, have been given a certain amount of time to enter into the kingdom and bear fruit. Okay. And she went on to say, as human beings who learn from an early age to rely so heavily on our five basic senses and our thoughts and feelings, and this is how we've learned to gauge our success or progress, as well as relying on the input and feedback from authority figures like parents, bosses, preachers, and even God to affirm our value and worth. But God wants to wean us off of our senses or feelings and emotions that we rely on uh, to grope around in the dark for reassurance of our right standing with Him or our value to Him. And we only really can get this from the Word, and He wants us to know that. That's why those dry places are there. She went on to say, The enemy gets us into a mental and emotional trap by throwing up illusions in our mind of walls between us and God that don't exist, convincing us that we are separated from Him or that He has left us or that He is displeased or angry with us, and this is why we are receiving this silent treatment from God. Yep, same old trick, right? She said, we tend to make assumptions based on past experiences and try to compare our current walk with the Lord based on our past walk experiences. The only escape is to continually go back to the Word and cast down every thought that is contrary to it. We must do this daily because the battleground is in the mind. That's where all the victories happen and that the defeats take place. God wants us to simply say, Your word is true about me and about you, and you are not a man that you should lie, and all your promises to me are yes and amen. It's no longer I that live, but Christ in me, etc. The Bible says to take captive every thought. We must get on God's side to defeat the devil in our thought lives, and in our souls. Are we on God's side? Well, that's a link, too, by the way, uh, of a audio teaching we have on this. 
She went on to say, if we are constantly agreeing with the thoughts that Satan puts into our minds, then we cannot walk with God. Amos 3 and 3 says, shall two walk together except they have agreed? All right. Get in agreement with God. She went on to say, this is how Satan creates the illusion that we are separated from God when it is we ourselves who have separated us from God with Antichrist thinking that results in Antichrist emotions and actions. Mm-hmm. What we need to understand is that every day will be different. The ups and downs will be different. The spiritual places in our journey will be different. The trials will be different. The only thing that changes are Satan's tactics on a daily basis. And I'm reminded of Pilgrim's Progress. When we overcome one of his tactics, he changes his approach or comes at us with a different angle. Amen. True. Remember, the demons have nothing better to do than to sit around and study us and analyze our thought processes and find out all of the weak places in our lives. And, of course, God wants to show these to us, too, so that we can repent and turn away from them, right? In our armor and in our minds, there are demons assigned to each person with his specific mission, and then they report back to their superiors who then come up with their next plan of attack on us. Mm-hmm. She says, If you have ever read Howard Pittman's book, Demons, an Eyewitness Account, you'll know this is true. They are terrified to fail in their missions against us because they will be mercilessly tormented and abused if they return to their superiors in failure. This will never stop until the Lord returns, or we pass on to eternal life free from the body of this death. The good news is that Christ made us overcomers through his blood and sacrifice. And what he's taught me is the importance of taking it one day at a time. This is the key to a life of overcoming. I need not dwell on the past nor have a care for the future. The past is forgiven and forgotten, and the future, my future, is completely in his hands. My only responsibility is to be a faithful disciple today. Now, faithful means you believe in God's future, which is written in the Bible, right? To be obedient today, to be a good steward of my talents today, and not bury them in the earth. Or my soulish life and thinking. Amen. In this way, and with this understanding, the Lord is teaching me to be weak daily and rely on His power to rise every morning and to work unto the Lord that day and lay my spirit in His hands every evening when I lay down to sleep. Amen. This keeps me in His rest and his peace, knowing I can do I can't do anything without him and without his strength, and it keeps me from becoming overwhelmed with fears, anxieties, or the weight of the world and life circumstances that are out of my control anyway. Yep, so I think about Hebrews three, twelve through fourteen. <clears throat> Take heed, my brethren, 
lest haply there shall be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in falling away from the living God. But exhort one another day by day, so long as it is called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we are become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence firm unto the end. Yes, amen. She went on to say, Faith is our only hope of salvation in all things. We are believing God for what we cannot see. We are trusting that God is good and that He doesn't lie. We understand that there's nothing He needs from us except our faith, and we cling to that faith because our very salvation depends upon it. What choice do we have? We have nothing else. If you cling to your faith... Uh, God will empower you to run the race effectively if you do that. She went on to say, God is taking us through the dry places to be tempted just as Jesus was. This is our first fruits wilderness before the tribulation wilderness. But just like Jesus, when we come out on the other side of it, the kingdom of God will show up in power through us to a fallen world that desperately needs Jesus in us. Yes. This is the purpose of our valley walk through the dry places. God has not left us. He hasn't forsaken us. He is doing a great faith-building work in us that isn't perceived by how we feel. It isn't a tangible experience that is a crutch for us to lean on. This is our ultimate faith test. Will we still believe? Yes, this is what the trial in the wilderness is all about. Will you still be believing at the end? Will we still be faithful in self-discipline and obedience? Will we endure to the end to receive the promises, no matter what it looks like or how we feel? Will we be good stewards of today with our time, our resources, and our precious brethren who need us in our time and fellowship just as desperately as we need theirs. This is my testimony of what the Lord has been teaching me over the past months. I hope it is an encouragement to all who listen. Amen. Yep, I believe it's very anointed, and I do believe it's very prophetic. Okay, here's a a modern-day disciple of Jesus. This was given to Eve Brast, 7 I dreamed that Angelica and I were literally modern-day disciples of Jesus, and we were with a small group of people who were following Jesus around in this modern time. The name Angelica comes from the Latin Angelicus, or angelic, which in turn is descended from Greek angelos, meaning messenger of God or angel. And Eve means life or living. It can also mean full of life and mother of life, right? She was the mother of all living, right? Angelica and I represent those disciples of Christ whom he filled with his life giving spirit and sent out his life-giving spirit and sent out as messengers to spread the good news of his gospel to all 
the inhabited earth. Amen. We were all dressed in a modern-day casual clothing, T-shirts and jeans, etc. But Jesus was dressed as he would have been 2,000 years ago. He had on a light-colored woven tunic, a brown braided belt of some kind around his waist, and uh, brown leather sandals. Well, she gives Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and yea, and forever. (laughs) Amen. He had shoulder-length, soft, loosely curled hair that was a uh, lighter brown. He had uh, a soft-looking brown beard, a little darker than his hair. Uh, that wasn't very long, maybe a couple of inches, and there was nothing outstanding about him except for the way that he was dressed. He was very low-key and soft-spoken, and he was demonstrating to us how to perform miracles and teaching us more about faith and what it meant to serve his people who are elect in his kingdom. He was instructing us on how to deal with people and meet their spiritual and physical needs. We were all so excited and felt really empowered to go out once he sent us to bring revival uh, to the rest of his people. But he wanted to first complete our training. And this was so important to him that we were good representatives of him. This is why we go through the training is he wants us to go out and in his name, which means in his nature, character, and authority, right? And uh, she said, God is allowing all of our trials. As I mentioned in my testimony above, it is part of our discipleship training so that we become effective ambassadors and representatives for him to his lost sheep. It was a really neat experience in the dream to follow Jesus and learn directly from him as a literal disciple and to have that close, intimate instruction and working relationship with him. And then I woke up. All amen. Boy, I tell you, this has been a really good exhortation. I pray that everybody out there will give up all distractions and run after Jesus and fill themselves with his life and nature by his word. Uh, And pray to him and ask him to deliver you from distractions and cause you to run after his word. Many are going to be very grieved by the fact that they were there and they fell from their high position. Um, Like in the Revelation before. And, you know, uh, you don't want to be found in that situation. Uh, it's time to run after Jesus, uh, put all the world behind us, and confess Him, and believe what the Word says, no matter about our emotions or uh, what we see or feel around us, but what we know the Word of God says. Lord, thank You. Thank You for what You're doing for us. Thank you for granting us the wisdom to run after you. Thank you for giving us all the precious promises and all the good teachings about the Word of God 
and uh, what it means and what it means to follow him as a disciple, uh, a learner and a follower. Uh, Lord, um, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for giving us grace to overcome the distractions of this life. No generation has had more distractions than this one. And I tell you, um, it, uh, just not that many years ago, there were not so much distractions, not so much corruption around us waiting to drag us down, uh, not so much the the devil having so many tools to come against us. But in these days, the Lord has given us the tools if we will pick them up and run with them. And uh, we need to repent of all distractions. Um, recently, we shared um, uh, a broadcast on that, distractions, what they do. And, uh, Father, we just ask you in Jesus' name to help your people to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that all these other things will be added unto us. The other things come so easily when we're seeking first the kingdom. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you for what you're doing in us and for us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, saints. Thank you so much. And um, we'll do this again sometime. Meanwhile, Michael Hare is going to come, and uh, we ask, Lord, that you bless him and bless all the brethren that are listening. And uh, we praise you and we thank you, Father, for helping us to endure to the end. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for the word that you have given us that gives us clarity and truth, and that it brings all of us into the unity of the Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you cleanse the church and us individually and bring us into that body, into the whole body as undefiled vessels that emulate your son, Jesus. And we thank you, Father, for your word that keeps us on that road of clarity of mind, body, and spirit. And Lord, keep us from any false witnesses and from people who would steer us away from you, Father. And I ask, Father, that you join us today to give out this word on how to have a holy, blessed fellowship. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. I want to start out by saying that, you know, that today's Christian world, there's a lot of false voices and leaders and corrupt people that lead others astray. And they're not necessarily always religious leaders, but they are corrupt people from whom we need to separate so that we don't get the judgment that's coming on to them. A lot of people come under judgment because they unite themselves with those who are corrupt. And that includes false leadership in Christianity. How many of you want to partake of the curses that are upon these people that have usurped their position in the kingdom? Then if you don't, you need to come out from among them and be separate or you will Get the same judgment that they're going to get. Revelation 18 and 4 says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come forth, my people, out of her, 
that you have no fellowship with her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. Number 16 and 25, And Moses rose up, went in unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs. That means be separated from all their thoughts and their doings, lest you be consumed in all their sins. Listen, if you're touching something, you're not separated, are you? 27, so they get them up from the tabernacle of Kor, Dathan, and Abiram on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own mind. And if these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the ground open its mouth and swallow them up, with all that appertain unto them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall understand that these men have despised the Lord. Now, being swallowed alive by the earth, as we already know, represents being swallowed up by the flesh. First Timothy 5 and 6, But she that giveth herself to pleasure is dead while she liveth. We're not here, folks, to please the flesh or to be consumed by the flesh. That there are people who are in rebellion against God that are going to be delivered over to their flesh. They'll they'll not be able to overcome that flesh because of that rebellion that they have. The Lord is saying to separate yourself from the people who live after the lust of their flesh so that you're not swallowed up by the curse that's on them. And it has to be important to us that God's body be holy and separated from these people because people in willful disobedience need to be judged. And of course, if they're repentant and if they're turning away from their sin, then we ought to encourage them as well. But if they're happy to sit in the midst of their sins and want to use doctrine to justify themselves, and they need to be separated. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, even as ye are on leaven. And he commands us there to be separated from these people so that the whole body is not leavened or considered by God to be leavened. Now, in whatever place you are, you always want that body to come into the blessing and provisions of God. And when God reveals these people, and you can see that he has turned them over to be consumed by their flesh, then you need to make a separation. Because if you don't, their curse is going to be upon you, or at the very least, you'll not enter into the blessings. The Lord said, come forth my people out of her, that you have no fellowship with her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. And that's what he commands of us today. 
God wants a holy people. He wants a holy body, holy individuals. And if you know people who are committing sins, such as those that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, for instance, the Lord demands that you separate yourself from them. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, I wrote unto you in my epistle to have no company with fornicators. Not at all, meaning with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous and extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. But as it is, I wrote unto you not to keep company. If any man that is named a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. And if you don't separate yourself from these people, you know that a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. That's what the Apostle Paul said when he spoke in the name of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship have righteousness and iniquity, or what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what portion hath a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement hath a temple of God with idols? For we are a temple of the living God. Even as God said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come ye out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be to you a father, and you shall be to me sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So he says, come out from among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord, and don't touch the unclean thing, and I shall be a father, and you shall be to me sons and daughters. Ooh, glory to God. Well, the Israelites, they once again rose up against the Lord and he sent another judgment upon them because they rebelled against Moses again. Number 16 and 41. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take thy censer, and put a fire therein from off the altar, and lay incense thereon, and carry it quickly unto the congregation, and make atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord, the plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses and Aaron took as Moses spake, and ran into the midst of the assembly, and behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Now they that died by the plague were fourteen thousand and seven hundred, besides 
them that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses unto the door of the tent of meeting, and the plague was stayed. So we see here that the Lord needed to continue sanctifying the body because there were still some of those out there who were rebellious among them. And God told them that he was going to raise up a voice of the Lord to separate the righteous people from the wicked. Verse 18, he says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Now, this is not only speaking of Jesus who was to come, but it's speaking also of the man-child corporate body in the day that we're in right now. And they're coming also to separate the righteous people from the wicked. He says, touch no unclean thing, praise God. (laughs) You know, God is not going to bless a body if it's polluted by the world. Whether you're talking about the corporate body or whether you're talking about an individual body. And we also know that God first separates his people from the world and in bringing his people out of Egypt is a type and a shadow of that. But after he brings his people into the wilderness, he separates them again. He separates the leaven out of their midst. Those who worship false gods, those who are in rebellion and serve their own flesh. You remember in Exodus 32 where the Israelites went into the wilderness and immediately made the golden calf? That was the replica of the Egyptian god Apis, and that was the god that they knew. But of course, God was angry and told Moses that he was going to destroy that whole company because mixed into this body of people were spots and blemishes. But when Moses cried out for mercy, God was moved by him and relented. But he told Moses there was a condition that had to be met. Exodus 32 and 26. And then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoso is on the Lord's side, let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. The Levitical priesthood here represents the remnant. And God had made a promise to his people. Exodus 19 and 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be mine own possession from among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So the Levites gathered themselves together, and the first thing Moses told them was in Exodus 32 and 27, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Put ye every man his sword upon his thigh and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. The Bible says that about 3,000 people fell after the the Levites did that, uh, what the Lord had commanded. 
And Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, yea, every man against his son and against his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. God pronounced a curse, destruction against the whole body. And he had told Moses in Exodus 32 and 10, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. But you know, he, he turned around, he, he said he repented, he listened to Moses, and he said, instead decided to separate from the bodies those that had sinned against him. And the priests of the Lord who served the true God had to put to death these people who worshipped a false god. And in doing that, the whole body received a blessing. Exodus 32 and 33, And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. And so we see this separation was necessary to sanctify the body. Hagiosmos, the Greek word for sanctification, means separation unto God. It means purity. It means holiness. Sanctification has to come before blessing. God has to separate us from the world. He has to separate us from those who are living and those who are carnal. He's making a spotless, blemishless body. The spots and blemishes in our midst are people who refuse to walk after the Lord. Second Peter 2 and 10, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of defilement and despise dominion, daring, self-willed, they tremble not to rail at dignities. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, bring not a railing judgment against them before the Lord. But these as creatures without reason, born mere animals to be taken and destroyed, railing in matters whereof they are ignorant, shall in their destroying surely be destroyed, suffering wrong as the hire of wrongdoing, men that counted pleasure to revel in the daytime, Spots and blemishes reveling in their deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unsteadfast souls, having a heart exercised in covetousness, children of cursing, forsaking the right way they went astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the hire of wrongdoing. Jude 12. These are they who are hidden rocks or spots in your love feast. When they feast with you, shepherds that without fear feed themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn leaves without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, wild waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness hath been reserved forever. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, showing respect of persons for the sake of advantage. So how do we deal with people like these? 
Do we take up a physical sword and whack her head off? No, we don't do that. Those are all types and shadows, parables. And what we have to do is discover how they're fulfilled in us in the New Testament. And the New Testament tells us to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we correct them or we separate them. Do you permit people around you to walk in sin and defile the body of Christ? Or do you do something about it? As God commanded us, he gave us instructions in how to use the sword, Matthew 18 and 15. And if thy brother sin against thee, go show him his fault between thee and him alone. If he hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And if he hear thee not, take with thee one or two more, that at the mouth of two witnesses or three, every word may be established. And if he refuse to hear them, tell it unto the church. And if he refuse to hear the church also, let him be unto thee as the Gentile and the publican. So you have to deal with that sin. God is forcing us to deal with this sin because that sin will corrupt the whole church. First Corinthians 5 and 6 says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, even as you are leavened. 13. Put away the wicked man from among yourselves. God wants you to deal with it. He wants you to fight with the sword of the Spirit against the enemies of God, against these spirits that rule other people. You want them to submit to God because you don't want to have to separate them from the body. But that's the next step. I'm talking about those walking in willful sin and not about differences in doctrine because people have to grow up in knowledge and understanding and you got to help them mature. Now, in number 16, we see the same kind of a situation. We see that the Israelites were worshiping a false god. They called it the Lord, Y-H-W-H, or Elohim, but it was a golden calf, wasn't it? The nature of their god was not the nature of the name that they put on it. So in type, that represents the false leaders. God separated his people by false leaders, Korah, Dathan and Abiram led the people against Moses and Aaron. They were trying to usurp uh, their authority, and they were not ordained of God to do that, just as today. Just like today, there are a whole bunch of false leaders out there that are not ordained of God. That same core Dathan and Abiram rebellion is happening today in the spirit. Apostate leaders are usurping a position over God's people and they're leading them away from Moses or Jesus. These apostates end up dead. They are swallowed up by the earth or in other words, they're overcome by their flesh. How many times have you seen preachers justify being overcome by the lust of their flesh on TV? Those leaders corrupt the whole body around them when they do that. People, because people, they think, it. well, if it's okay for him to do it, it's okay for me to do it. Well, God's going to judge them. He allows them to become more and more reprobate in their mind and more and more corrupt and overcome by their flesh. And last, you, you can see it readily in their lives. 
how did God deal with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram rebellion? Number 16 and 20 tells us, Then the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves. And that word means to sanctify yourselves. From among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Here God was condemning the whole congregation because as a body, they were polluted. So what does God have to do? He has to make a smaller body that's not polluted. And when you do that, you got to separate the wicked from among them. And in this case, it was those people who were bound and determined to follow false prophets, false pastors, false leadership. Folks, I'm telling you, we're coming to a great division. And those who won't come out from among them are going to be reprobated. It happened in Jesus' days. Those who didn't come out of apostate Judaism ended up being reprobated. And they fought against the truth. Then verse 22 and number 16. And they, that's Moses and Aaron, fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get ye up from about the tabernacle of Kor, Datham, and Abiram. And that's what Jesus did. He went into the sheepfold. He called his sheep by name. And they followed him. He separated them from those apostate leaders. In verse 26. And he spake unto the congregation saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men. And touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. In other words, the Lord demanded, if you want to live, this is what you got to do. You got to separate yourself. Get away from her tents, get away from her tabernacles, get away from her churches, churches, and don't touch anything of theirs. And that's what the people did. And God opened the earth and it swallowed up Korah, Dathan, and Abiram along with their families in all of their possessions. And then the Lord sent out a plague that killed another 14,700 people because they murmured about it. And when they murmured about it once more, he separated them again. Is God going to do that in the days we're in right now? That's exactly what he's going to do in these days. He's already done it. He's going to have, whether we like it or not, a spotless, blemishless bride. And he's going to get rid of the corrupt people in the midst of the corporate body. Now, of course, he wants to individually clean us up, too. We're talking about two kinds of separation here. Sanctification for the individual and sanctification for the body. And this, and this separation, folks, is necessary for the blessing. And the blessing in this case was not that those who separated themselves from the rebellious weren't destroyed along with them. Why does he say touch nothing of theirs lest you be consumed in all our sin? It's because these people are corrupt. They are dead men. You know, the Lord said in 1 Timothy 5 and 6, but she that gives herself to pleasure is dead while she lives. There are people who are dead because they walk after the lusts of the flesh. They walk after the works of the flesh. Instead of becoming transformed by the renewing of their mind, that's the mind of the Spirit. Be renewed 
in your mind by the word of God. Romans 12 and 2 says, And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Folks, God wants a people that are alive. John six fifty three. Jesus therefore said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, that's the word made flesh, and drink his blood, which is the nature of Christ, ye have not life in yourselves. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so that so he that eateth me, he also shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. We have to have his life in us. And the Bible says in Leviticus 17 and 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. If we're not partaking of the nature and life of Christ, if we're not eating his body and drinking his blood, folks, we're dead. There are dead people who walk in the midst of the body because they don't want to submit to the word of God and they don't submit to the nature of Jesus Christ. The nature of Jesus Christ is his name. And that Greek word for name is anoma, and it means nature character, and authority. So we're not to touch anything of theirs. We don't partake of their thinking, their doctrine, their idolatrous religion, or their apostate preachers. Now, I'd like to share a little parable with you here that implies not touching is necessary in order to be sanctified in order to receive a blessing. Numbers 19 and 11. He that touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. Remember, you're not supposed to touch anything of these corrupt people, and that means don't be influenced by anything that they have to do or think. And sanctification represents being separated from them. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 says, Wherefore come ye out from among them, and be ye separate saith the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Touching is the opposite of separate. Touching is when you are not sanctified. You're too close to this dead person. The dead people are the ones we have to separate from. They ain't got no business in the body. There's spots and blemishes, darkness in this light body. They have to come out of the body. And if you do what the Bible tells you to do, they'll either submit to the word of God, repent and obey, or they're going to leave. And if you preach the word of God, they can't stand it very long. Folks, we've seen people come and we've seen people go. We've seen people become sanctified and holy and walk in the steps of Jesus. And I've seen others that don't quite fit in. They do all kinds of deceitful things and live in sin behind the scene. 
And after a while, they become offended. And then they leave because they can't stand the word. Folks, the word is the sword. It'll drive them out. And if you love and submit to the word, there'll be people who don't want to be around you. That sword will separate you from them. And that's a good thing because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, if you're not sanctified, then you're unclean. Numbers 19.11 He that touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. So what's this touching the dead body? What is this parable trying to tell us? Well, we can see a good explanation over here in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you did he make alive when you were dead, talking about spiritually, through your trespasses and sins. And that means people who are walking in trespasses and sin are walking in death. And when you are separated from them, that means you are not sanctified from their trespasses and sin. And it means that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And the Lord don't want you to have anything to do with them. Ephesians 2 and 1. And you did he make alive when you were dead through your trespasses and sin, wherein you once walked according to the course of this world. Now the Christians who walk according to this world are dead while they live. But just like Timothy says, they're not alive because they're not sanctified. They're touching the old man. That's the dead man. Then it goes on and says, according to the prince of the powers of the air, of the spirit that now worketh in the sons of disobedience. So we got people out there who call themselves Christians, but they're following the devil. And you can't get them to submit to the word. You can correct them over and over and over. But they won't. And they can't submit to the word because their nature is contrary to the word of God. Verse 3, among whom we also all once lived in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 13, for if you live after the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. People who walk after the flesh are dead people. You're not walking in the light. You're not walking in the kingdom. If you're not abiding in the life of Christ, and that's partaking of his body and blood, you're a dead man. You need to be separated from the old man. He's dead and gone. Lord God. Galatians 2 and 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. The faith which is in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That old man was crucified with Christ, and he's dead. And if you go back and touch him, if you aren't separated from him, and he rules in your life, then that's where this destruction comes from. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. Among whom we also all once lived in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. 
Folks, there's a lot of Christians who are children of wrath because they're not separated from that old man. That old man isn't dead. And they're touching him. They're not separated from him. There are apostate churches where they don't teach that when a person walks in outward immorality, it's got to be dealt with so that the body's not corrupted. They teach that greasy grace where everybody's accepted. So individually and corporately, the whole body is totally corrupt. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. And of course, there's still people who are dead in their trespasses because they don't believe in separating from sin. They believe that they are a sinner saved by grace and don't understand that they were a sinner who has been saved by grace. So they think that they can continue to live as a sinner the rest of their life and still go to heaven. Those people are dead. This ain't a step over the line type of thing, folks. And if you're not walking by faith now, you don't have grace and you don't have salvation now. Are you being saved now from your sins and the curse? Don't say that you were saved back then. Are you saved now? Are you bearing fruit? Are you touching the old man? Are you living in the works of the old man? Paul says here that you're dead if you're doing that. And if you walk after the flesh, remember that the soul that sins must die. If you're walking in life or you're walking in death. And he's telling you that there are people in the midst of the body who are dead and you ain't supposed to touch them. The flesh is dead. Don't have nothing to do with it. We were crucified with Christ and it's no longer you that live, but Christ who lives in you. So separate yourself from that old man and his work, both as an individual yourself and as a body. Let's read it again. Numbers 19 and 11. He that touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. Meaning until you enter the rest. The rest is when you cease from your works. And we just read that the people who live in the works of the flesh are dead. The Sabbath represents when you cease from your works and you enter into the rest through faith in God's promises. Hebrews 4 and 3 says, For we who have believed do enter into that rest. Even as he has said, As I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. That's what the Sabbath is, according to the New Testament. So we have to separate. We have to come out from among them and be separate. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship have righteousness and iniquity, or what communion hath light with darkness? A yoke couples two creatures together, and you don't want to be yoked to that old man because that old man's supposed to be dead. You aren't pulling alongside the old man. You aren't giving the old man equal time, are you? Because he's dead. He's supposed to be dead. And now you're in control and you're not supposed to let him lead it all. This is like 
those two stages of separation. The first separation was to come out of Egypt. In other words, separate yourself from the world. And the second was to come out from among those that proclaim to be Israelites, yet they walk after the flesh. They walk after false prophets and false leaders. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15 says, And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what portion hath a believer with an unbeliever? Those who walk after the God of this world, even though they call themselves Christians, they're coupling Christ with Belial. Remember what Jesus told the religious people in his day? Even the religious leaders who were the heads of their denomination? John 8 and 44, he said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father, it is your will to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and stands not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. For he is a liar and the father thereof. Could the disciples who were following Jesus stay under those people? No. He called them out by name. John 10 and 3 said, To him the porter opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he hath put forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. He didn't want them with Belial. Second Corinthians 6 and 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Well, we just saw both of these. The Israelites came out of Egypt, but they still needed to get Egypt out of them, right? And it goes on and says, For we are a temple of the living God. Even as God said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, it said, listen, Come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. He says, separate yourself from these apostate people who don't want to walk that holy walk. Don't have any fellowship with them because fellowship is giving and receiving. And you don't want to touch. You don't want to partake of any of their sins, right? Now, in the Old Testament, a parable was given to us about eating or partaking of unclean beasts. And we found out in the New Testament through Peter that those unclean beasts were the lost people of the world. Acts 11 and 5 says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain vessel descending, as it were, a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even unto me, upon which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw the four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the heaven. And I heard also a voice saying unto me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath ever entered into my mouth. But a voice answered the second time out of heaven, What God hath cleansed, make not thou common. And this was done thrice, and all were drawn up again unto heaven. Now Peter got the revelation that God was sending him to the Gentiles that God had cleansed the Gentiles through faith. And before that, 
he would he said he wasn't going to be defiled by those beasts because they were commanded in the Old Testament not to partake of them. But this is a new thing that God was doing in their lives. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse seventeen says, Wherefore come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. If you do touch, then you're unclean. And that's what the parable in Numbers 19.11 is going to tell us. Then verse 18. And will be to you a father, and you shall be to me sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Well, quite often the scriptures will say children, but in this place God uses sons and daughters because it's really a higher meaning. Children or child magnifies the understanding that you are a born person, but son magnifies a relationship. Jesus was the son of God and we manifest our sonship. And he's saying, if you don't touch these unclean things and you're holy because you're separated from them, you can be my son. Second Corinthians 7 and 1. Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness or sanctification, or separation in the fear of God. What happens to the person who touches a dead man? He becomes defiled. I guarantee you that Christians had the fear of God back then because the apostles would take the sword and separate you from the body if you became defiled. But today, the people in the church don't have the same fear of God. They don't understand that they can be separated from God. There's a lot of them walking in debauchery after the old man. They're yoking up to that old man, giving him equal time, letting him climb down off his cross and rule their life for them. They are defiling the body. Numbers 19.11 He that touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. The same shall purify himself therewith on the third day, and on the seventh day he shall be clean. But if he purify not himself the third day, then the seventh day he shall not be clean. The third day could represent the three days that Christ was in the grave, or death to self. And the seventh day is the spiritual Sabbath. You are clean when you have ceased from your own works. If you partake in the death and burial of Christ, you shall also partake of his resurrection. Romans 6 and 5, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, the resurrection life of Christ is manifested in the people that are entered into his rest through faith. Numbers 19 and 13 says, Whosoever touches a dead person, the body of a man that hath died and purified not himself, defileth the tabernacle of the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from Israel because of water, for impurity was not sprinkled upon him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is yet upon him. What's that tabernacle you reckon God is talking about? The individual tabernacle or the corporate tabernacle. Well, he talked about both of them. Because no man lives or dies unto himself. If you are defiled and you sit in the midst of the people, you defile them. 
And as we just read, the Lord was going to destroy the whole congregation because as a body, they were defiled. He wanted them clean as a body, so he separated the wicked from them in order to accept the righteous. And we got to do the same thing if a person is walking in willful disobedience. Hebrews 10.26 says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remains no more a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fierceness, fierceness of fire which shall devour the adversaries. The wrath of God falls on those people who walk in willful sin. And if somebody's walking in willful sin, that person can bring a curse on you just because you're yoked to them by being in the same body. And at the very least, they're going to defile the tabernacle. And that's why Paul said to put these people out of your assembly. If they're going to walk in willful disobedience and don't show any repentance, put them out. Don't let them run and defile you and the people around you. Numbers 19 and 20. But the man that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself, that soul shall be cut off from the midst of the assembly because he hath defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water for impurity has not been sprinkled upon him. He is unclean. And it shall be a perpetual statute unto them. And he that sprinkles the water for impurity shall wash his clothes. And he that touches the water for impurity shall be unclean until the evening. Well, is it still out of way? Yeah. It's a type of a shadow for us in our day. And so the person who sprinkles the water for impurity washes his clothes Remember what scripture says about the bride in Revelation 19 and 8? And it was given unto her that she should array herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is a righteous acts of the saints. Her clean clothes were a bright and pure garment, which is the righteous acts of the saints. Now let's see if we can figure out what this water for impurity is, because I think it's the same as a sword that separated the people and put to death that old man. Numbers 19 and 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came a yoke. Well, praise God. That's talking about Jesus, looks like. Verse 3, And ye shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, and he shall bring her forth without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. Well, the Bible speaks about Jesus being slain outside the camp. Without the camp is what it says. Hebrews 13 and 11, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us therefore go forth unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Well, the reproach was that Jesus was no longer accepted in the camp, right? He came unto his own, and they that were his own received him not. John one eleven. 
And just so you know, if you walk that holy walk, that same thing is going to happen to you. The camper rejects you. Those walking on the broad road will reject you. And that's the overwhelming majority of what is called God's people. And if we're going to walk in his steps, we also have a sacrifice to make. Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. We sacrifice our old life as a living sacrifice so that we also are walking in this crucified life. And it's like the third day that we just read about in verse 12. The same shall purify him himself therewith on the third day and on the seventh day he shall be clean but if he purify not himself the third day then the seventh day he shall not be clean and if you're not sanctified on the third day if you're not purified on the third day you won't be clean on the seventh day Hebrews 13 and 14 for we have not here an abiding city but we seek after the city which is to come So we see that the Lord has called us without the camp. And this sacrificial animal that represents Jesus also suffered without the camp. Or in other words, separated from the camp. Jesus, who was without spot and blemish, was brought forth without the camp, slain by his own people, much like the description here. In Exodus 33 and 7, Now Moses used to take the tent and to pitch it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone that sought the Lord went out into the tent of meeting, which was without the camp. Folks, you're going to end up being separated from the majority of what's called God's people if you go ahead and seek the Lord with your whole heart. And if you're going to be like Jesus, who was rejected by his own people, you're going to go forth without the camp just like him. And you're not going to mind being different from the worldly church. And if you do mind, then you're touching a dead body. And you're not going to be sanctified. And here's another place you can see this clear. Exodus 19 and 14. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people and they washed their garments. Moses was ordained on the mount. He brought the word of God to the people of God. Hebrews 12 and 14 says, Without holiness or sanctification, no man shall see the Lord. So we have to be separated. And we also need to wash our garments if we want to see the Lord. And that's what sanctification is. It's washing our garments. Exodus 19 and 15. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not near a woman. What does that mean? Y'all remember the 144,000? Revelation 14 and 1, and I saw and behold the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their forehead. These are they that were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they that follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were purchased from among men to be the firstfruits unto God and unto the Lamb. They weren't defiled with women because women throughout the the whole scriptures were depicted as different sects of God's people. 
So spiritually speaking, the command to come not near a woman is a command to separate yourselves from the nominations, sex, and divisions of God's people. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 16, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. When Jesus came, he separated his people. He went into the sheep fold, called his own by name, and they came out. And they became one flock with one shepherd. But that's not what they were before. They were members of the different sects of Judaism. They came out of those to follow Jesus and to become one with each other and one with him. And today, once again, God is calling his people to come out from among them and be ye separate. Glory to God. Well, I hope you take this and and apply it to your own life. And I praise God that uh, we're going to have a lot of people get sanctified in the days ahead. I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, Shining rays of red and white, Jesus, I trust in you. Sacred heart in you, I find mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the still believe, for oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe, for oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, my Lord Jesus.
Can you 